Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, the 25th day of Black History Month with your host, Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. This is Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com, and I will be Ron Carter's co-host for this segment. After the opening announcement, you were just listening to Hello, played by Minister Raheem, who heads up the Temple of Mercy Association here in Chicago. Minister Rahim is also known as the sax preacher and for doing a lot of good things in the community. And we had him on a previous show on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio, and it was a pleasure to talk to him. And he also had a visit this, this weekend. He is also on the board of Black Wall Street Chicago, and so we certainly want to give him our support. And you can't tell me that that sex did not sound good to you, but I'm going to tell you something. Play it on your media default player, and it sounds much better. It's a much better sound. Black Wall Street USA is on the air every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. CBBN Talk, which is the show that I host on Tuesdays, is designed especially for the members of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com to present their products, their services to you, the Blog Talk Radio audience worldwide. We're on the air every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Join us and touch the world. We want to thank you for being with us this evening and for sharing in this opportunity to serve African-American businesses across the nation by calling in and being part of the solution. And we want to let you know that Summit 11 is scheduled for Saturday, February 27th, right here in Chicago, from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Holman Square, located at 3333 West Arlington. Arlington, because everyone keeps asking, Arlington is right between Holman and Kidsey, off the Eisenhower Expressway between Pope and Taylor. Now, you have to find those streets yourself. Google, do a Google map. You'll find it. That's on Chicago's west side. For additional information or for directions, call Black Wall Street Chicago at 312-624-8351, 312-624-8351. Vendor space is still available, so call them first thing in the morning and spread the word. We really want to see you there on Saturday. And we want you, we want you to be a part of this. We want you don't want you to watch us do it. We want you to be a part of this. Let's welcome our host, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Ron Carter. How you doing, Ron? Hey, Sonya. How are you? I'm doing great. Working hard, Ron. Working hard. I know you Tell are. Tell us what's going on. Tell us what's going on at Black Wall Street Chicago this week. Oh, Sonya, we had a. Um... Mm, it's, it's just growing. I can um, vouch for that based on we had a uh, conference call with uh, San Diego yesterday. Uh, and San Diego, I did about an hour conference call with them. And they're getting ready to sign on to a Black Wall Street district in San Diego. I think that was a really wow. good move nationally as we have officially stated that Black Wall Street will have the national um, summit here in August. So along with that, we're moving on with uh, Gary, Indiana as a Black Wall Street district, and naturally we have 75th Street as a uh, district. And this Saturday, as you mentioned earlier about the summit, uh, we're going to be moving forward to Madison Street as a Black Wall Street district. So here locally in Chicago, we're moving very progressively. 
and at the same time um, nationally as well is uh, here on the uh, Chicago Black Business Network blog. Uh, we had a couple of, I think we had, two, well, we had Michael Carter here from the uh, national office of uh, Black Wall Street, and then there was um, someone, what's that, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. They have a Ujamaa Black Wall Street. So there's a movement that's going on uh, to give you, to answer your question, what's going on with uh, Black Wall Street. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Especially Everything. Moving, right, especially moving closer to this uh, summit uh, this coming Saturday because we do have a set agenda. However, uh, there always are issues that prop up. Uh, based on the uh, state uh, treasurer is going to be at this here uh, summit. Neither himself or his chief of staff, uh, uh, Robin Kelly, who just won the state uh, national, I'm sorry, the uh, state uh, treasurer uh, Democratic nomination. That just happened uh, a few weeks ago. So neither him or the uh, Ms. Kelly will be at this here summit. So issues steady come up, um, surprise issues. I think that the summit itself is just that, a summit. Uh, it's not a conference. It's not a uh, convention. It's a summit. So we're there to, uh, with the mission of sustaining and increasing black businesses, and in doing so, uh, we focus on motions with resolutions. That's what's going on. What's going on with you? How you been doing? Everything. I know you've been working I'm, hard too. I'm working hard over here. I'm having fun with our marketing distribution package. The calls are coming in. The numbers are growing for the summit. Um, I posted events and I tested a couple couple of event venues, and I see they're printing out their tickets for the uh, event. I saw Mark mm -hmm. Allen over there on Facebook, and okay. uh, and righteously saying so, Mr. Allen. Thank you. Don't just watch us make agendas come and be a part of the agenda and that oh, yeah. he couldn't have put it a better way he couldn't have put mm -hmm. it a better way okay. and i saw him putting that out there just before we came on the air I was over there posting to come over and join ron on on facebook and mm -hmm. uh chit chat with him sometimes i want to thank last week's guest pastor curtis a rogers executive director of the chat with rogers drive Deme development center and Correct. founder of the bed austin chamber of commerce and so many, many, many other things for joining us last week, and uh, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna have him back again. There's there's so much to do and so much to talk about, and uh, he's creating some dynamite things over there and venues and avenues and technology, and he's just going on over there. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that some more. He's doing he's doing some really really big oh, things. Yes, definitely, you, definitely. You can you can listen to that interview in our archives at www.blogtalkradio.com. You listen to Black Wall Street USA with host Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue. I see that our first guest is on the line, and you may call in and talk to him, 347-326-9477, 347-326-9477. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. Press the number 1. If you would like to speak to one of our guests, I don't want to surprise you. I want you to press the number one, and we'll bring you on the air. And you can also listen to us live on blogtalkradio.com slash CBDN. 
We're going to go to a brief break, Ron, and then we're going to bring back Mr. Guy Williams, known as the Wealth Teacher. He's going to join us after the break. When I visited his website, the first thing that caught my eye was the words, get up to $250,000 cash for real estate investing. And I want him to tell me how. Mm-hmm. Our guest for the second half of the show will be Mr. Otis C. Monroe the Third, who is founder, who is the founder and CEO of the Monroe Foundation. According to Mr. Monroe's website, the Monroe Foundation has assisted over 100 African American enterprises in obtaining funding, and he's going to share that information with us. We want to remind you to give us a call at 312. 312- Two three nine eighty eight thirty five. If you would like your products or services featured right here on Black Wall Street USA, and just to let you know, we want to remind you, we don't want you to forget that Ron Carter is also the editor and publisher of the South Street Journal for more than sixteen years. And you didn't know, Mr. Carter, I do see some of your old newspaper clips floating around Facebook out there. I wonder how they get oh, out do. there. <laughs> Yes, I oh. do. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. 1993 and 94 and 95. I see them uh, floating around out there, Mr. Carter. Okay, but, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it gets out there. It gets out there. You can place your ads with South Street Journal in 2010 by calling them at 312-624-8351. That's also the number for information on Summit 11. 312-624-8351. We look forward to featuring you on Black Wall Street, USA. We're going to be right back after this break. Thank you so much.
back, and you're tuned in to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and Sonia Perdue. At the break, you were listening to African Queen, composed and played by Jaada, who sent me the MP3 threes of his music, but no additional information. And I do like it, but I do hope that you'll call back and give me some contact information and tell me a little bit more about you. That goes, to, that goes out to all of our African queens over there at Black Wall Street, Chicago, who are working up a storm to set up for this Summit 11. We want to thank you, thank you, thank you. There were over 200 guests at Summit 10 on October 31st at the Urban League last year, and we expect an even larger turnout. The first 250 guests will receive goodie bags, which is just our way of saying thank you. Summit 11 is Saturday, February 27th, 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Arise early, please. Ron, the support is just growing for Summit 11. Mr. Rick McCoy, general manager for the Regal Theater, just dropped off tickets for two upcoming performances at the Regal Theater for door prizes for Summit 11. So we appreciate him. We certainly appreciate him. He dropped off tickets for the March 6th performance. Uh, which is Chicago's Best of the Best series, and the March 27th performance, which is the Gospel Hour at Regal Theater. And we we certainly want to have Mr. McCoy back with us on an upcoming show so we can talk about the old Regal days and what's going on with the new Regal Theater. So just sending out our thanks to the staff of the Regal Theater for their support. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. The chat room is open. Ron, I'm going to turn the show over to you, and I guess Mr. Guy is on the line. Well, thanks a lot, Sonia. How are you doing, Guy Williams? Hey, Ron. How are you feeling? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a while, but we uh, always seem to uh, bump back up to each other. Um before we kind of go into who you are and um, what you provide in, in the services that you do in finance, is uh, I would like to get a understanding of the United States of America as it relates to, if I may use the term, capitalism, and then kind of go right into where you're at. Can you give us the nature of this uh, this country and as it relates to capitalism going into uh, finance and personal finance as well. Okay, I can touch on it. I'm, I mean, my my degree is in business law. I'm not necessarily an economist, but I can definitely give you uh, what my personal experience has been. Um, I, as you know, generally speaking, we're encouraged as African Americans to pursue education, get a degree, and then um, matriculate into corporate America or into jobs that we hope will give us an opportunity to live a comfortable life. But what they don't tell us in college is that um, your success in this country is directly proportionate to your ability to create a business that will pay you according to what you think you deserve in terms of your product or service. Um, With that being said, um, capitalism in this country um, has always looked at individuals in a different light. I'll give an example. I was watching the Dallas Mavericks play the Los Angeles Lakers last night, and they had front row uh, pictures of Jay-Z and Beyonce. Now, Jay-Z has been open about his indiscretions with respect to you know, the drug business when he first decided to try to provide for his family, but now he's considered 
a successful entrepreneur because he's transitioned into a quote-unquote clean business. So this country respects a person's ability to make money. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, uh, with that ability, I guess we don't want to go, or do we want to go into the, um, even with prisons, my understanding is that now there are private uh, prisons uh, do you think that uh, and offering stocks? Uh, do you think that is a good investment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, see, if you make your decisions based on pure capitalism, then you will find that most decisions have a certain moral dilemma that's a component of the decision. But I mean, you can look at you can do research on the internet, and you will find that a lot, oftentimes states will predict the number of prison beds they need um, based on third-degree reading scores. So if you know that, um, for example, if you take Chicago, Illinois, uh, University of Chicago did a study back in 2006 which showed that for Chicago public schools, the high school dropout rate is about 50%. And of the 50% of individuals that graduate from high school, and we're talking about African-American men, only 3% finish college. So let's let's think about that. If you know that 97% of African-American men are not finishing college, then you have to do something with them. All of them are not going to be rappers or basketball players. Okay. So if I know those statistics are true and I have thousands of dollars that I can invest in the prison industrial system, <laughs> then it just makes sense. It's kind of comical, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I didn't make the rules. That's just the game. Now, I don't have any stock in prisons, but a logical person would say the system is set up so that people see. In my father's day, so I might have committed to uh, that's that's a, probably a good investment for many of us um, at this point in time, based on the the stats as you indicate the education level and the uh, absence of black men going into college then that would be a, a wise investment. If you are thinking in a capitalistic mindset, but if you're okay. thinking from a moralistic mindset, again, it just depends on the individual. Okay, but I understand. If you, so would you take you that same attitude? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Would you take that, uh, that same stand as, uh, let me kind of go back just a little bit. Uh, Black Wall Street uh, means a lot of things to a lot of people. And as you may know, we have uh, summits every three months. One of the summits was based on the, uh, can I put the, uh, the, the image of Wall Street of New York. And it was proposed at one of our summits that black Wall Street need to have an investment arm. As we um, pursue that resolution or that motion, um, how do we begin as an organization, and then how do we begin to uh, address investments in the capitalistic terms as well as the moral terms um, as we move forward? So how do we actually bring that back to the grassroots? Well, I think for investments in general to be successful, you have to have a universal principle that governs your investment decisions. For example, um, I started investing in real estate over 10 years ago, and my rule of thumb was based on principles that I uh, learned from the book The Millionaire Next Door. 
So my investments were very frugal in terms of the risk. I always wanted to manage my risk. Um, that's one of the reasons I loved real estate, and I still do, because before I make the investment, I know what the probability of success is. So if I was going to advise any investment organization or any organization that was going to invest in money, I think you should have guidelines that are written out, that are spelled out for the organization, and those guidelines should not be violated. For example, uh, I'll give you an example. When you look at the the destruction of the mortgage industry, um, studies have shown and research has shown that there were a lot of risk investments that were made in mortgages and a lot of loans that were given to people that couldn't really pay those loans back. So if you take risky um, investment strategies like that, the probability of success is a lot small, smaller. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, if the organization puts in writing principles that will govern how you're going to use money, and those principles are sound and fundamentally um, grounded in a long-term strategy, then the probability of success is a lot greater. Mm-hmm. So uh, do I um, come to you or Dean Whitaker, or what's the difference between you and Dean Whitaker? Well, I don't have a license to give investment advice. I'll tell you that up front. But um, I'll give you an example. My grandmother, she passed away December 1st of... 2009, and she lived to be 98 years old. Now, she had a third-grade education but a Ph.D. in common sense. And she always told me, use common sense, because a lot of people got book smarts but don't know nothing. So common sense tells me if I see that I can buy a house for $50,000 and I see that the rehab is $20,000 and I see that similar homes are selling for $125,000, then logic tells me that that's a good investment. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to have uh, any type of special skill set to see the numbers. So in other words, as long as your numbers can be confirmed by other individuals that don't have a vested interest in your company and the numbers make sense and the investment is sound, then you go with it. It's common sense. Well, Mr. Guy Williams, tell us, what do you do? And what are, you say you're not a uh, licensed um, counselor? I'm sorry, what did you state it? Uh, comparing no, I don't, to I don't have a Series 7. I don't sell stocks. I don't do anything like that. I simply, mm-hmm. see, um, again, I, when I graduated from Roosevelt University, I was very idealistic. I graduated in the late 80s, and I thought that if you showed up at a job and worked hard and did what you were supposed to do, you would have every opportunity to move up in the corporate environment that you worked in. And that's false. See, I don't like to drink beer, so I'm not going to go out with my manager and drink beer. I don't play golf. I like to play basketball. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I don't, maybe I don't want to cut my hair. So I realized with my attitude I would not but move into middle management in any corporation. I just knew it. So I said to myself, okay, what could I do? from home that will make me at least $100,000 per year. And I did not want to have to physically be someplace more than four hours a day. Now, that doesn't mean I don't work more than four hours a day, but I'm not a cubicle person. I will go nuts sitting at a desk for eight hours. Mm -hmm. So what I always tell my clients is that you have to ask yourself, if I'm going to choose a career, it should give me the lifestyle and income that I desire if I commit myself to it. So with respect to my goals, the only thing that was hit was real estate investing. So back in 2000, um, and this is what I was telling my clients, one of the keys to being successful in business is to find someone that has already been successful and follow their instructions to the letter. 
oftentimes we try to reinvent the wheel by reading books and tapes. And as you know, books and tapes only teach theory and language. People teach you how it works in the real world. Just like, I don't know publishing, but I guarantee you, if I work with you maybe two or three hours a week for a year, you could tell me what I need to know to publish a newspaper, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So the the basic principle applies to anything in life in terms of business. And to simplify it, in my first year I did four deals, made over $100,000. This is back in 2000. Then I got my real estate brokerage license and started doing anywhere from two to three deals on average per year for the last 10 years. But this mm-hmm. is the key. I didn't spend my rehab money. I just lived very conservatively. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I got you clearly. Well, then when you are... Um I think uh, some time ago, I have forgive me, but you ran that ad in the uh, Chicago Sun Times for years. Yeah, I still have the ad. You look at that section real estate; it's still there. Right. So, what type of response are you getting, or the type of clients that you're uh, being being attracted to your to your service? Uh, who are those? Oh, I, I I get a tremendous response from individuals that are dissatisfied with their current career. They're looking to create passive income. And, again, I stress passive income. Active income is money that comes every 30 to 45 days. That's the money that you should use to pay your bills. But rarely will you be able to become financially independent from active income. Passive income is money that comes usually every three to six months in chunks, and that's the money that's used to build your net worth. I'll give you an example. Most people that call based on my ads, I'll ask them two simple questions. What's the definition of net worth? What's the definition of net income? And you'd be amazed at the fact that the vast majority of people don't know the difference. And if you don't know the difference, it's almost well, impossible I don't. to be Why don't you explain that to me? I'll give you an example. Most people focus on You're net explaining income, the difference? which essentially... Okay. I'm sorry? Are you explaining the difference? Yeah. Net income is your take-home pay. Net income is what you get home with. Net income is simply your take-home pay. Rarely will you become financially independent if you focus on increasing your take-home pay because rarely does it keep pace with inflation. Now, net worth is your assets minus your liabilities. I'll give an example. Um, For African Americans, the average net worth for a family of four is less than $6,000. If you took up everything that most black families own, and you subtracted what they owe. They got less than six thousand on the table. How much does it cost to bury somebody? Speaking annually. What are you speaking? I, I'm talking you about as a whole. The average black family has less than six thousand dollars net worth. Where if you take the average white family, it's over eighty-eight thousand dollars. So if you're, for example, that's what they talk about when they talk about generational wealth. When wealth is passed on from one generation to the next so that that next generation can take that money and build a stronger foundation, if you don't focus on building your net worth and all you focus on is your net income, generally speaking, it will be very difficult to be financially independent. What is the reason for the gap between the uh, Caucasians and African Americans in the uh, net well, worth? A lot of it has why, to do with slavery. created right, that big right. uh, Yeah. Right. Let, let me ask you. Uh, let's do a hypothetical. What if I gave you free labor for 400 years, years okay. to build your business empire? Don't you think you'd have a jump start on most people? 
I better. <laughs> I better. Oh, be, if I don't, I am really in trouble, huh? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Okay, 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 yeah, well, we, yeah, we, that's how they got it in, man, you know, you give me 400 years of free labor, come on, I'm a big multi billionaire. so what would it take for, to close that gap, what would you, uh, what would you uh, suggest, or how do you see that that gap can be closed? Well, the first step is a frugal lifestyle, uh, you, and if I, I, if see, I can, when you speak of that, can you speak of it in, um, time frame of what needs to happen within a time frame in order for that gap to close or get to some relatively close in uh, closing that gap? How long would it take and what needs to happen? In terms of time, would would you like me to be politically correct or would you like me to be direct? Both. Seriously, both. Okay. I'm I'm going to be very direct. I, I prefer to be very direct. I don't believe it will close. I don't believe it will close. I don't believe it will close. Will it close? Would it get closer then? Would it, would, can no, the gap no. close? No, the, number, the, the numbers are invert. The numbers, if you, look at, uh, if you look at the net worth for white families, and again, this is an unfair comparison. You give somebody a 400-year head start, you can't compare it to them. But just for the sake of this discussion, if you look at the net worth for African-American families, it continues to decline because we don't manage our money. Look at our neighborhoods on Sunday. Look at who's working and who's shopping. Mm-hmm. But you know, we ain't got no money, but we all spend the money. That don't make well, sense. Okay, but if you're indicating that the African-American community do have the money in order to close that gap, then... Uh, can you suggest that there is a way to close that gap? I would uh, say, but I'm hearing you saying that it cannot be closed. I'm saying that it can't. Again, see the beauty of getting older. I turned 44 February the 6th, and I remember 20 years ago I was very idealistic. Now I'm more realistic. And in terms of being more realistic, I look at a person's behavior patterns and see. The beauty of running the ads in the newspaper room, I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people over the last, say, seven years, and I've just come to the conclusion that you can't motivate people, but you can guide people that are motivated. And the vast majority do not want to change their spending habits. And if they don't change, it doesn't matter if you make 100000 or 20000 You will always be chasing the dollar. Mm-hmm. Just, you can't change someone's habits. They have to want to change. Well, that goes back to my earlier question, and, I, and then I want you to answer that. And I think, Sonia, we need, uh, need to go to a break, or we have a caller. Uh, I'm so busy. Sonia on break? Uh, we, we can go <laughs> to the question. You took a break already, uh, Sonia. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll, I'll answer the I question this way. I'll answer the I'll question this way. Yes. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. The first, thing I would, the first thing that I would suggest for any individual is to get the book The Millionaire Next Door. You have to learn how millionaires think. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump. Donald Trump's parents were self-made millionaires before he got into the game. I'm talking about people that didn't have a dime. And within a short period of time, less than 20 years, they became self-made millionaires. So once you understand how they think and what they do and you adopt the mindset, then you have the possibility of recreating your financial life. 
But as you know, the educational system is not going to teach economics. The educational system in this country really functions on the ignorance of the masses as it relates to handling money. Because if you educated people on how to handle money, they wouldn't go out and buy new cars. A new car depreciates up to 25% when you drive it off the lot. Self-made millionaires don't buy new cars. They buy used. Guy, what is that red sports car I've seen you driving? As a Viper. As a Dodge Viper. <laughs> I bought that car. That car was four years old when I bought it. I've never in my life bought a new car. Okay. New cars. Think about it. If you go out and spend a hundred thousand dollars on a new car and drive around the block, it's now worth about seventy-five to eighty thousand dollars. How can you get ahead if you're giving away money like that? It just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, uh, Sonia, are we? Uh, you wanted to go to the break and um, did Sonia take Let's another break? Let's, let's go. Let's go to a break, Ron. Don't be putting okay. me on the spot up here. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to Mr. Williams. Right, and again, Sonia, yeah, she uh, she asked you a question regarding the real estate investment of this two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, Sonia. You was uh, okay. inquiring about. Do you want me to answer that, or do you want me to wait? We'll we'll, we'll go yeah. to that after we come we come back from a break. Okay, okay. Mr. Carter. All right. Thank you. Okay, you're listening to Black Wall Street USA with your host, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue, co-host for this segment, and I'm woke. And uh, we're going to go to Mr. Magic. Uh, this is another song by the Sax Preacher. We do have a uh, uh, we have a caller on the line. We're going to go back, come back, and have him answer the call, answer the question, and go to the caller. Thank you so much for joining.
radio program right now. Street USA with Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Purdue, Chicago's Black Business Network.com. The preacher kind of caught me off guard there. I didn't know he was going to end right there, but you know that preacher can blow that saxophone. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that's Minister Raheem. We appreciate him uh, sending those pieces over to us. Our caller number is 347 326 Please press the number one if you would like to speak to one of our guests or if you have a comment. Mr. Carter, I wanted you to know, uh, let's do this. Let's go to the caller, and we'll come back to that question with Guy Williams, the wealth teacher, who is our guest this evening. We'll come back to that question uh, okay, for him great. because we don't want to keep our caller on the line. And I also want you to know Mr. Monroe, your second guest, is on the line also. Okay, caller great. in uh, area code 301. Welcome to the show. Please tell us your name and the city and state that you're calling from and your comment. Yeah, this is uh, B.A. calling from uh, D.C. How you I doing, that, B.A.? Yes, yeah, I thought that was Grover Washington, Jr. That wasn't Grover. That was someone else? Oh, yeah, that's Sex Preacher here in Chicago. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Okay, okay. 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 Well, thank I mean, you. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I want to uh, just um, say that I agree with uh, your guest, uh, wholeheartedly, uh, 100% on uh, his um, his honest opinion about uh, how, how far African Americans are in this country uh, economically. Uh, but I'd like to also add and get his uh, take on, you know, the ways in which we measure success. I mean, what is successful? What is success? What is, quote, unquote, closing the gap? Or is the gap, is, is that how we should look at things? Uh, I, I can drive around in the Washington, D.C. area, the top ten uh, economic centers, you know, in this area. And, uh, you know, you see buildings going up. You see companies coming in, uh, corporations uh, putting different branches here and there, banks, you know. Uh, but, you know, the African-American uh, uh, influence, even when there is African-American government there, is, is, is pretty, pretty small. 
so, I mean, how, how should we uh, uh, measure uh, success? I mean, is, is a nonprofit uh, a success? Uh, I mean, should, uh, how, how should we go about uh, determining if we are really making uh, significant uh, economic strides? Because, uh, okay. you know, I, yeah, thank you. You're asking me for, you're asking me directly, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, what I have found is that it's very difficult to look at success on a mass scale. I think you have to look at it from an individual level and then let your example be an example <clears throat> Excuse me, of what you believe is important. And I'll simplify by saying this. Generally speaking, to me, success is when you own a home that has equity. Success is when your credit score, your middle credit score is high 600. Success is when you have at least six months worth of li uh, living expenses saved. Success is when you have an active income stream that pays your bills and a passive income stream that is used to retire all bad debt and build net worth. Success is when you have a mission that's in writing on your refrigerator that tells your family how you're going to govern your money that comes into the house to ensure that the family will grow in terms of prosperity. So success starts with an individual mission within your house. Success starts with understanding that you have to defer gratification in terms of materialism so that you can have a good foundation. I'll give you an example. One of the number one reasons why people have problems in their marriages is because of money. So if you go into a marriage and you don't have a clear understanding as to how you're going to handle the money in the marriage, you're almost doomed for failure. Well, so um, success is on an individual level, and it starts with the individual themselves. Does that answer your question? Uh, okay, one hundred percent. I thank you. I appreciate your honesty and putting it out there. You 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 quantified it. You put concrete um, uh, notions as to what is success, and I, I appreciate that. I I I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you. Okay, uh, well, Guy, with that uh, question, as we look at how the uh, being in a financial um, uh, success is that it's marketed in a way that uh, do you think it needs to be marketed a different way to the African-American community? Absolutely, but it's not going to be. See, remember, if you can get the educational systems to not educate people, then you can control them. A thinking man will make decisions based on logic. But if a man can't think for himself, he's going to make decisions based on emotion. And emotion clouds judgment. Very seldom can you make long-term good decisions if you make them based on emotion. That's why when you go to a car dealership, they want you to drive the car so that you don't pay attention to the fact that the interest rate is ridiculous. That's why they want you to see successful entertainers and how successful and rich they appear on TV so that young kids can aspire to be entertainers. When in reality, the probability is that you have a better chance of hitting the lottery. But you well, take the me, average... Right. Mm -hmm. Now, ahead. if you take your earlier um, uh, projections of where or even to the point that uh, the African-American community may not even be close to closing that gap, taking consideration the issues that follow it uh, from the 400 years of free labor to the education system and to the projections of where prisons are, are going to be. Um, how uh, then 
here in Chicago, where they have projected uh, what Chicago would look like in the year 2040, given all those economic factors into play, uh, based on, again, as you indicated, the uh, dropout rate is uh, 50%, then if the African-American, from your, your point of view, since you understand the, uh, uh, the trend uh, based on economics and finance, uh, is there any group or um, uh, that is taking your assessment and being able to try to have some type of form of uh, preventing such a collapse in the African American um, community financially? Is there uh, any to such organization? No, no. Look at the leadership in our culture. Look at the leadership in our communities. We're still talking about marching for jobs and stuff. That's a waste of time. Well, think about it logically. If you could set up a – let's think about it logically. If you could set up a system of education that would ensure your unborn great-great-grandchildren would still be in power, why would you create a system that would allow poor people to eventually compete for your power? That don't you know, make sense. Of all our guests, Guy, you have really put a a a a, a real cap or close a cap or un, uh, took a cap off on the state of our financial being. Uh, with Black Wall Street, we have a theme that's called "Follow the Money from A to Z," and mm-hmm. as we use your uh, analysis, "Follow the Money to A to Z." We may be chasing our tails, but uh, with that uh, in mind, uh, you was—I think—we were speaking earlier about different business opportunities and investment opportunities that you are offering, and something that Sonia kind of spoke to. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, one of the things that I opportunities that you offer. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I stress to individuals is you have to not only work on improving your credit score, not only work on ownership of real estate, but I think everybody should have what I call as a Carnot's hustle. If you have a job and you don't have something on the side that you do that makes you at least 500 to to $1,000 per month, then when you do lose your job, and eventually you will, you will be... Very, you'll be in a very precarious situation. I meet so many people that have good jobs, but they're not prepared to transition into self-employment if they have to. For example, um, last week we got a bunch of snow. Anybody could start a small snow removal company from home, and any time it snows, make anywhere from 100 to $200 per hour just doing snow. There's so many side things that a person can do, and generally speaking, once you do do those things, you often transition into full-time ownership of the business when you see the profit potential. Everybody should have a side hustle. Well, let me, uh, if I can, Sonia, bear with me while I do a little uh, maneuvering here in our program. With us, we have um, Otis Monroe of the Monroe Foundation. You're on, online, uh, Otis? Good evening. Okay. Well, uh, Otis, as um, I'm pretty sure you've been listening to Mr. Guy Williams as he's given the financial overview on the individual point, you um, uh, work with a lot of financial institutions as it relates to community investment. And not only that, you engage in many financial related. uh, 
victories for the uh, community with the banking industry. Uh, how do you assess your role as you work with banks and uh, Mr. Williams and his role basically uh, with the, helping the individual meet that financial uh, goal? Well, the Monroe Foundation has of late put a lot of emphasis on enforcing public policies and, and regulatory requirements under the Community Reinvestment Act where financial institutions or mainstream financial institutions, if you will, that are, are governed under the Community Reinvestment Act that requires financial institutions to meet, quote, the, the credit needs of every segment of its market. Now, that's very broad, and the Community Reinvestment Act, or CRA as it's commonly known, was enacted uh, by the Congress in 1977. It actually grew out of a, a community organizing movement that started here in Chicago. Uh, yes, I was part Chicago. of that uh, neighborhood, Jeff uh, uh, Carter, neighborhood people's action. Correctly. The problem today is that 30 years later, the Community Reinvestment Act. Was that 30 years ago? God. A little over 30, 30 years ago. The problem now Whoa. is that the, the CRA Act is a bit weakened because the landscape of banking and, and lending has changed so dramatically that many of the mainstream financial institutions have engaged in affiliate lending through subsidiaries or, or subprime lending companies and, and the like, and particularly in low-income, mostly minority communities. But specifically to what the doctor was talking about with regard to banking and savings and, and mindset, one of the things we've been challenging in the last two years is the, is the legitimacy of an effort by the FDIC the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation that has organized uh, across the country this, this uh, concept of uh, eco uh, Alliance for Economic Inclusion. And the purpose behind this Alliance of Economic Inclusion, where the FDIC offices across the country or by region, in this case the Chicago office, three years ago began to hold a series of roundtable dialogues between financial institutions that have obligations to, quote, meet the credit needs of its market, particularly in low- and moderate-income communities under the CRE Act, and community organizations and churches, and bring them together and have a powwow, if you will, and encourage the banks to uh, promote financial literacy. Mm -hmm. And Monroe Foundation's position is that financial literacy is not enough if two things are not in place as well, one being the the product offering from the financial institution that once I spend six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks or hour, whatever amount of time in a series of financial literacy, financial education workshops or training or consultation, that I'm actually able to open a bank account or a savings account at the institution, regardless of my previous credit history, because maybe for some legitimate reason, uh, and certainly in this recession or near depression that we're still in, regardless of what the pundits want to call it, including Mr. Obama, and that's another story, uh, there's, yeah, not, there's yeah. not too many people who don't have some kind of ding on their credit. So to take uh, a person who is unbanked, if the initiative is geared towards the unbanked, through weeks of financial education and financial literacy workshops, but they still can't open a bank account, they still can't, open a savings account, so they thus still continue, they, they, 
they're almost forced to continue to use the currency exchange as their bank of option because that's the only option available. It's disingenuous. And then secondly, uh, the Community Reinvestment Act requires financial institutions to make CRA qualifiable investments uh, to not-for-profits or community partnerships that help address uh, uh, the, 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 the capacity of individuals who need to understand or perhaps move toward changing that mindset because particularly in the African-American community, for many unbanked or unemployed or underemployed individuals, and in, in some cases for working-class individuals, the only bank, again, of choice and option has been the local currency exchange, which outnumber in some communities uh, uh, branch banking. So, well, let me, uh, yeah, if I can, um, uh, Otis, Guy, you mentioned your points of um, what it takes based on our earlier caller, what it takes to be successful, and you lined up a few things as it relates to uh, having six months of um, I believe it's six months of uh, living expenses and uh, 600 uh, credit score, uh, a mission, refrigerator, uh, and understanding uh, where you're going. With what Otis uh, indicated, and you said that one must have a mission, and as Otis is working on the uh, policy of financial matters, and he also laid out regarding uh, financial uh, financial literacy, and as it relates to people not being able to open have a bank account. Does those issues affect those principles that you indicate in for the one to be successful? And I guess the other part of my question is: Has the Community Reinvestment Act has been? A plus in your endeavors. Well, to answer the first question, this is where you see the vicious cycle because if the reading scores and the cognitive ability of the masses is very low, people won't understand the ramifications of going to the currency exchange. They can't logically connect the dots. They don't understand that it's more important to establish credit, get a bank account, build a relationship with your bank so that when you want a mortgage, they know you. They can't understand that. They haven't been taught how to think logically. That's why our educational systems are set up that way. See, you can control the masses if they don't think logically. If they have make the, the decisions uh, based on emotion and convenience, you can control them. Have the uh, laws such as the Community Reinvestment Act, has that been a um, uh, help to assist you in meeting certain goals with some of your clients or even with yourself? No, not at all. I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's look at the statistics as it relates to the opportunities for African Americans to get small business loans. It's it's a farce. So let's let's. And my mentor taught me this ten years ago. He said you can go to five banks in Chicago and get five credit cards at twenty five percent interest and about five thousand dollars each. So you got access to twenty five thousand dollars but make sure that they have balance transfer offers at what's called teaser rates. Teaser rates are usually less than 10% for anywhere from six months to a year. So I always tell small business owners that are limited in their ability to get small business loans, use personal credit with teaser rates to turn that money over until you're able to go into a bank with a sizable deposit history to then use that leverage. I'll give an example. 
Um, if you were going to set up the Black Wall Street and you made it mandatory that members would have to contribute, say, $5,000, and you had 50 members, and that money would be deposited into one financial institution that made a commitment to get favorable treatment to members of Black Wall Street if they wanted business loans, then we've leveraged it. But in, without that collective leverage, I don't care what community act you have, it's really not good. I mean, think about it. Right. Well, uh, Otis, is there any such uh, group that is organized, as Guy just indicated, uh, as community leverage when uh, placing their money? Well, yes. Uh, the Monroe Foundation formed a coalition, a statewide coalition called COP, C-O-P, the Community Reinvestment Organizing Project. Our first step was to um, – we drafted legislation – that would establish a CRA policy for the state of Illinois uh, uh, and hold the state treasurer's office, uh, and, the, and the incumbent now is Alexei Janulius, uh, to monitor uh, how his office selects financial institutions to serve as state depositories. We, we got some pushback, as naturally so, from the banking industry. So Treasurer Janulius came back to us in January 2009 and asked, why couldn't we compromise? So the compromise was an administrative policy, CRA policy that is now, that he adopted June 1st of last year. Mm -hmm. that but, uh, yeah, right. But Otis, again, I just want to get back on what Guy was indicating. Is there an organized body or group that have used their collective investments to leverage financial institutions' uh, direction and investment, such as if uh, one example may be the uh, Southside Credit, uh, Federal Credit Union, or a group of investors, uh, I think even with our no, summit. I say, okay, let me just break it on home. There's okay. a yes and no answer to that. The first answer, the first part of the yes answer is that we've gotten key financial institutions that have high foreclosure rates in the African-American community to agree to a community reinvestment agreement that provides, uh, that has supported nonprofit organizations uh, who have were funding from those banks to provide credit, or rather, a cure, what we call cure default counseling, not just foreclosure counseling. After you're in foreclosure, you have very little limited options. So that's been very successful. We're doing that now with Citibank. Now, in terms of leveraging, uh, particularly in the business community, African American business community, to leverage its collect collective. Uh, uh, wealth power or potential wealth uh, to negotiate uh, lending agreements with regards to small business lending with the financial institution? No. And I'm going to tell you why. We're going to have a very honest conversation. Then, and well, then, it, it, uh, I was just, just going to right, jump on with you just one minute, okay. uh, uh, Otis. I think then you may need to bring that up at the summit this uh, Saturday. Uh, but go ahead. One of my most disappointing um, the thing that disappoints me most is the inability to bring the African-American community together, the so-called African-American leaders of the Chamber of Commerce, the business associations, to actually get them to sit down and look at how to uh, negotiate agreements with, with financial institutions. I take an example. Uh, in 2008, summer 2008, uh, it was no disrespect, and I have much respect for its executive director, but before she became executive director, we tried to work very closely with the Chatham Business Association 
to sit down with Seaway Bank, the largest African-American-owned bank in the country, who, as far as I'm concerned, has only claimed the fame in the Chicago market is this annual art fair. And I'm mindful that in 1992, Seaway Bank received the need to improve rating from the Comptroller of the Currency, and its corrective action plan was to establish a community development corporation to acquire and rehab properties on the south side of Chicago, which to this day has done very to none of that at all. But my point being, we try to, we try to encourage the Chatham Business Association, a respected uh, chamber over, over 30 years old on the south side of Chicago with some of the most elite, if you will, uh, and, and long-standing African-American-owned businesses on the, on the south side of Chicago to sit down with Seaway Bank and develop a loan program that would encourage more African-American-led businesses to expand or to move into the, uh, uh, the, Ch the greater Chatham area, including at the time what was being proposed as the potential south side designation for the uh, Black Wall Street in Chicago on, on, 75th, on 75th Street. Mm -hmm. And I can remember I got more pushback from so-called African Americans who pound their chest about being in the movement and what they're doing and all that they met because nobody wanted to go and sit down with this institution that built this reputation on what is supposedly it, it, it means it, 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 it's standing in the African American community and if it continues to be the lone institution in the African American community, uh, uh, how, I want to turn, turn it around. It seems there's more of a willingness to go after the majority-owned financial institutions and hold them accountable, which is absolutely disingenuous in one aspect, while not holding Seaway Bank accountable uh, 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 for small business lending uh, or for playing a more larger and more legitimate role in helping to build African-American wealth institutionally and otherwise. Well, uh, so John, no, let me ask no. you the same question. Uh, do you know of any group that have lavished their investments uh, as a, as, may I say, a, a bargaining to to channel that financial institution's uh, money? Is there any such a group that you know of in your industry? You thought, you, that question is directed to me? Yes, it is. Um, is I don't know of any group, know of? but I... But I I don't know of any group, but I started practicing those principles about a year ago because up in I got when I got out of college, I had a relationship with Citibank, but up in about a year ago, I felt that their service was not in line with where I thought their service should be. I felt their lending was a little restrictive, so I pulled out all my money and went down to Illinois Service Federal, and I told them I'll deposit a couple hundred thousand, but this is what I want in exchange for that. I want a line of credit. I want favorable treatment when it comes to refinancing my homes. I want a good business relationship so that when I call, they actually know who I am. And I will say that the relationship with Illinois Service Federal has been great. So it can start on an individual level, but you can't come in there begging. I mean, I, I look at it. Well, I guess, Finn, the term was, um, as you indicate, leveraging mm -hmm. uh, uh, a group's uh, financial wealth into a financial institution. So it's not necessarily begging, but I understand what I'm hearing you well, say. No, but but Ron, it becomes begging because La Raza is doing this. A lot of the Latino 
ethnic-led organizations. Yeah, look at every other ethnic group. I'll agree with you on that. Every other ethnic group. But when it comes to some of the groups, the Chamber of Commerce groups, uh, that's African-American-led, some of the uh, African-American-led community development corporations uh, on the south side and the west side of Chicago, they can't see past a sponsorship, a contribution, or some funky little grant uh, uh, for that program. So, so therefore, 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 you have status quo Negroes in, in positions of leadership with some of these organizations. But it's the truth. I I I I I I mean not to purposely have banter to it. Oh, 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 This is not hyperbole. It's some of the status quo organizations uh, in the city of Chicago, in particularly, and including one that's noted for its its its, its long history in the civil rights uh, uh, movement. Uh, that has many of the, the market presidents of many of the mainstream financial institutions that contribute to its organization as, as well as, as sit on this board of directors. Well, I will, right, uh, well, I will that do if I can. Yeah. Give the whole sum real right quick. I, I will propose, based on this, we uh, uh, looked at that as being a real concern of the reasons why it has not happened and the reasons why it should happen. Uh, I don't know, Mr. Guy Williams, if you are available this Saturday, but I think it would be, uh, as our agenda is very tight, uh, again, this here should be a an agenda on, at this summit. Um, it was a resolution that was brought up. I don't know if you recall, uh, Otis Monroe, at the last summit, that when we talked about 75th Street, um, uh, Curtis Moore made a resolution that, uh, as we talked about Black Wall Street District, Black Wall Street District need a financial institution on that street, and it needs more than one, and that we should start talking about the uh, investment of one's money. And, Mr. Williams, this is somewhat where you come in at. Uh, we, You and I have talked about this before. Uh, are you available this uh, Saturday? Um, possibly. I'll do my best. I have to check into some things. But as a, as you know, as a real estate broker, I get people that call me all the time right. on properties that I have. Well, uh, this is a bit of organizing. Uh, as uh, Sonia says, uh, uh, the uh, Chicago Black Business Network um, blog talk show and also Black Wall Street Speaks, we're not just based on uh, the conversation of the issues, but we also are looking at trying to address some uh, methods to really uh, address them. Uh, and at this uh, summit, Otis, if you can, I know our agenda is pretty tight, but I'd like for us to uh, uh, re uh, bring this up at the summit regarding leveraging um, investment money. And but Ron, here's a better idea. Here's a better. Here's the here's the absolute best leverage. Well, we can't pass no motions or resolutions. I know I got the chairman clout, but go ahead. <laughs> I think we're at the point now is that we need to begin to look at the, the creation of our own financial institutions. Or we, I think we're was wasting time. But how do you say our own when we we have three here in Chicago? What are you speaking? What are you talking about when you say create our own when there's three black, really four? Five black financial institutions in Chicago. So, what do you mean, our own? Well, we kind of I kind of traveled this road before at previous summits and uh, trying to encourage the body, 
You may recall to yes, begin a dialogue directly with, with uh, Jacoby Dickens at, at, at Seaway Bank to sit down and have a dialogue about what its role should be and could be as, a, as an institutional partner and the development and growth. Okay, so I understand why you say why we should. Uh, so go ahead, Otis. You're saying what we should do. What are your, what, what's your what, remarks what, again? We, we should at some point ultimately look at how do we create our own, our own community development credit union so we can control our own lending. But at the same time, we should bring Jacoby Dickens together from Seaway Brink. We should bring Norman Williams together from Illinois Service Federal. We should see if we can bring the Joyce Brokeman together from Highland Community Bank, as well as Pastor Winston from Covenant. Let's bring them all together because everybody ain't going to buy a home. Everybody's not going to be a mortgage holder. And I know all of them want to focus mostly on mortgages and home equity lending, even though many of them are not doing it anymore. But the point being, we can create our own. They can, if nothing else, they can also help provide the seed to create a community development credit union that can engage in small business lending. The Southside Federal Credit Union does not do small business lending. They're talking about it, but it's not happening. So there's, uh, there's segments of opportunities here that we can uh, uh, begin to engage, starting with the, the, the remaining uh, black-owned financial institutions that remain in, in, in the Chicago market, if you will, but with a goal towards eventually having our own, uh, the Black Wall Street project here in Chicago, having its own community development credit union who specifically focuses on investment opportunities, microenterprise lending, but to support the kind of lending needs uh, of, of, of members of the Black Wall Street project specifically, but more generally also eventually providing uh, the kinds of lending needs that uh, African-American businesses need. It is disingenuous for the black, the black caucus in the city council every year to pound their chest about the low numbers of MWDBE participation in city contracts. The reason why the numbers are low because black folks can't get financing based on those contracts. They don't have properties and inheritances to pledge, to collateralize. So they have only those contracts, and the only bank that we've been able to get on a case-by-case -case basis is actually to finance the contract based on the contract as a receivable. It's a majority-owned bank, Marquette Bank, on the south, on, on 63rd and Western. Seaway Bank won't do it. Uh, 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 Shore Bank won't do it. Uh, uh, go down the line. The only institution that... Well, that let me ask you this. Yeah. So that's right. why the uh, numbers are low. Okay, Otis, based on... Uh, I don't know if you heard Mr. Uh, Guy Williams earlier when we talked about closing the gap. In your uh, closing the financial gap, uh, were you uh, listening earlier uh, when Mr. Guy was uh, speaking? Uh, I, I called in. I came in. I chimed in about. Okay. Well, he indicated that the gap in the um, the financial gap between the African Americans and the whites. I believe that he said that the African Americans have uh, six thousand dollars access, while the uh, white community may have something like eighty thousand uh, in access. Uh, in your workings, uh, is that correct, uh, guy? Yeah, when you look okay. at the strength right, of the yeah, family, it's directly proportionate to net worth. And African Americans is less than six thousand. White families generally is over eighty thousand. 
Yes, that's right. why how do you that. how do you propose in your workings? I asked uh, Mr. Williams this earlier, Otis. How do you propose in your workings that if that gap can be closed, and do you see a a time element where that may be possible? Well, one of the models we have working in Chicago right now with Citibank, actually, and um, and Marquette Bank. Now, excuse that, me, if I can say, uh, uh, Ms. Williams, you indicated this on a um, on a, a national basis, correct? Right. I mean, it's, it's okay. African-American. So, uh, Otis, if you can look at your answer based on a national, you may break it down to locally here in Chicago, if you if you would like. You're talking to me? Yes. Do you understand okay. my well, question? Yes, I did. I did. Well, I can, I, can, I can only go by what we're doing here. That could be a model or best practice model nationally. Uh, with Citigroup and Market National Bank, with those institutions, this goes back to a point uh, the gentleman, Mr. Guy Williams, was making earlier about um, attitudes and mindsets. What we are doing in Chicago, though, through through our community partners, is that we've got Citibank to provide grants to several not-for-profit organizations to bring on staff to help monitor and track the successful and continued successful financial literacy education that their clients, many of whom are involved in their social services programs, are going through. It's an agreement with Citigroup, an agreement with Marquette National Bank that could be a model for other institutions nationally is that, is that if you're approaching community organizations, particularly the social service agencies, because that's where the banks want to go and make these presentations, well, we, we, we've done away with that concept, but got them to provide significant grants or capacity-building grants that allows these non-for-profits to bring on an extra staff person who can uh, add financial literacy as part of the case management those organizations are doing with their clients. So what that does now... Do you have a number of the case uh, units? So how many units that you are speaking of within a certain I time period? We have about, let's see, I think working with Citibank, there's about 15 organizations on across Chicago that has this partnership with uh, Citigroup, and that's probably totaling about a little excess of uh, 500, uh, 500 individuals. And then, okay. we have a, and then we have a similar initiative on the southwest side of Chicago, that is totaling about 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 175 individuals. These are small little pilot pocketed initiatives that are working very successfully because since the clients are all, or the individuals are already engaged in a social services program with a social services agency, uh, they are in the front line position and to begin to help change or encourage a change in mindset that has resulted in many of these individuals no longer going to no longer signing up for direct deposits of their benefits checks or their SSI checks or their job checks if they're in a job training program 
uh, like the Saints of Biden Employment and Resource Center, they've moved away from currency exchange, tech matching. <laughs> you have to put your, your little bitty in, don't you? <laughs> you just well, have I, to I, put I, your I, little bitty in. Go ahead. I can only do me. I can only do me. But my point being, the attitudes have changed. So they have, they, 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 they have, they can see themselves as being able to save money. And we put a more of an emphasis on savings account than checking account. Uh-huh. And, with, and, with, and, and the agreement with the financial institutions that could be also a model for how this can really work, asset building, is that for some group, for in some, in some programs, the emphasis should be on a checking account and a savings account as a requirement to be in a real financial education linked to product access program without the ATM component. We have to do well, away. Right. Well, let me let me look at these numbers you just indicated. So you have uh, basically the initiative you have is approximately uh, about 700 uh, individuals that you are targeting to uh, stabilizing themselves to the uh, principles of success, as Mr. Williams indicated earlier, which means a part right. of. Part, which means uh, the credit, uh, uh, planning your future for the next six months, or mission on your refrigerator. So you are in the process of preparing these individuals, and there's approximately we're, about... We're, we're, doing it, we're doing it through our community partners. We're just a Right, so that's about 700. What I'm trying to get to, that's approximately about 700 individuals uh, right. in Chicago alone. Now, if you take uh, that's just one particular initiative, is there, could you identify other initiatives that's similar to you all that uh, are focusing in on financial stability to move towards success? I don't know of any specifically, but that does not mean that they don't exist nationally. I know that there's, they, that nationally, there is a whole big movement around financial education and providing access to the unbanked or the, or the underbanked. Uh, the Shriver Center here in Chicago uh, is pushing legislation nationally that addresses that kind of matter, uh, uh, promoting uh, 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 asset building uh, in the underbank and unbanked, uh, underbank and unbanked uh, minority, minority communities through different asset building uh, account products as well, even working with initiatives with children. So there's national efforts taking place. Uh, but again, so is that, well, really a lot of but guy, is that a start based on what uh, Otis Monroe is engaging in on financial stability? Uh, then is that where you come in as taking that financial stability and moving it on to success? With all due respect, until you address the fundamental issues of our culture in terms of how we view success, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, oh, I'll give you an yeah. example. Hello? Yes, go ahead. I'll give you an example. I remember when Dave Chappelle did an episode, and he, he hypothetically showed how we as African Americans would use our money if we got reparations. And you had a gentleman that bought uh, a truckload full of cigarettes. <laughs> I mean, until you change our mindset as to how we handle money, it doesn't make a difference, and but most God, of us God, are not willing. We're, we're saying the same thing again. The, if, if the organizations, if the community groups are already working with these individuals to change their mindset, just about how they take care of themselves, how they take care of their children, how the with the, the food that they selected to keep their minds. 
strong and their bodies strong, if they're already engaged in that kind of program, from our perspective, it already it just makes sense to add how they view wealth or assets uh, uh, as part of that whole that whole re-engineering of thought processes. So those things mm-hmm. are happening. I agree wholeheartedly with you. You've got to change the mindset. And that well, one of the things that I have found, I think you and I are both very logical people, and I think you and I could have a consensus on what's important. But I've just come to the realization in my life that you can't motivate people. And unfortunately, the masses don't want to change their their habits. You can't motivate people to make fundamental changes in habits. They have to want to do it themselves, and then you can guide them. But oftentimes, we it's like my grandmother used to always say, everybody want to go to heaven, but don't nobody want to die to get there. Everybody, quote, unquote, wants to be financially independent, but very few people want to stop buying their kids $100 gym shoes. I agree with you. But, and, but, but, think of it, let's, think of it, let's think of it logically. Do you know that um, 70% of African-American children are born into single-parent households? That's a recipe for disaster. So unless you're addressing the fact that there used to be a stigma that if a woman got pregnant in the black community, they sent her down south to have that baby. Yes. Until you change the mindset that it's unacceptable to be to have a child unless you're married. It's unacceptable to do certain behaviors that are, are, are contrary to our cultural image. Unless you change it, it's not the masses are going to continue to suffer. I agree with you, but if we're able to reach just a few, Guy and, and, and Ms. Perdue and, and Ron, if, you, if we're just able to reach a few, because sometimes people become hopeless uh, because they just keep getting, they just keep hearing no. No, no, you can't open a bank account. But, but then that goes to the educational system. See, you're, you're requiring people to, to think and rationalize. But if the educational system does not allow them to read at a proficient level so that they can develop cognitive skills, by the time they get into high school, they're done. You, you can try to take a person that has not developed cognitive skills and train them to think. But in most cases, they're going to make decisions based on emotion. And as we both know, emotion in relation to long-term decisions is horrible. It does not work. So until the leaders change the fundamental system of education in this country, you can forget about it. I'm going to go ahead and continue to have hope. Okay. I mean, I have to say again, I'm a realist. I'm a, the beauty of being a estate. Okay, yeah, well, Sonia, you're getting ready to, uh, you're taking us into gentlemen. a break. Can, yeah, can you both hold on? I know that a guy that you wanted to, you, we had a short period of time, or will you stay over over the break, or you have to go? No, I can hang back for a minute. Okay, all right, I'm Sonia, good. let's take that break, or we go into a caller, pardon me. <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. (laughs) Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, who would never, never, never take a break. And I'm talking to Chicago Black Business Network.com. Yes, Mr. Carter, we do have a caller on the line, and he's been very patient. But we're going to take a break. This is a good dialogue. I'm going to have to train Ron to take a break. I don't know what it's going to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got these two individuals. That's messed me up with uh, Otis and uh, Guy. (laughs) You you, you hear how they're talking, and they're so knowledgeable. Go go ahead. It's a great dialogue. I want to thank Mr. Guy Williams, the wealth teacher, for being with us. All right. Mr. Otis, 
Monroe, hey, I like I like what you're doing. Going to come back with a few comments. Uh, the Monroe Foundation. We're going to be back after uh, a message from our supporter. We support organizations like Partners in Community Building, Inc., as they contribute to building up our communities by enriching the lives of others. Partners in Community Building is a nonprofit organization, and there is no charge for their services. PICB is a HUD-certified counseling agency, and here are just a few of the services available to you in the Chicagoland area. Foreclosure prevention, there is no charge for this service. Winterization, who doesn't need their home winterized? Cedar Energy Assistance and Furnace Programs. Even if you are paying your electric and gas bill on time, you may still qualify for assistance from CETA. Home Ownership Counseling is available as well as rental assistance referrals. Partners in Community Building is located at 3424 South State Street in Chicago. For additional information and to schedule an appointment, Contact PICB at 312-328-0873. Call 312-328-0873 for all of your housing needs. Ms. Bobby Ball is the Executive Director of Partners in Community Building, Inc. Tell her you heard about it on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with our host, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Purdue, Chicago's Black Business Network.com. We want to remind each and every one of our listeners that we are preparing for Summit 11, which is scheduled for Saturday, February 27th, right here in Chicago from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Holman Square, located at 3333 West Arlington. For additional information, please call 312 624 512-624-8351, and we certainly hope that uh, Mr. Guy Williams and Mr. Otis Monroe will be able to assist us. Uh, great dialogue, gentlemen. Just, I um, just had a, a couple of comments. There is an organization called the Black Associated Credit Unions, and I'm not sure if, if you've heard of that, Mr. Monroe, and if you did, can you give me some feedback on that? Because I'd like to contact them. Uh, it's a nationwide association, and see what their template is and what it is that they're doing for a future show. Also, I wanted to say something else, and I'm saying this before I bring them back because they're not going to let me talk. Um, I want to say something about what Mr. Monroe uh, said previously about banking education and Mr. Williams, too. Sometimes the education that maybe banks put out or different organizations put out is only for their particular benefit and the information they give you is only to serve their particular purpose. And I'm going to give you an example of that. Uh, a lot of our people, we know that this has happened. They've messed up their TCF and their Chase and their Bank of America and their city court bank accounts, and they feel like their only alternative and they can't go to credit unions because they have certain criteria and they feel like their only alternative uh, is to go to a currency exchange, and that may necessarily be true because sometimes brokerage companies will give you checking accounts, and they don't run check systems. There are other banks in the United States who will give you checking accounts, and they don't run through check systems and credit reports. And, see, that's the type of information and dialogue that we don't have with our people. I understand going through different training programs that are provided by banks and different organizations, but sometimes that information that's given is used to benefit them. There's more than one way to do something, and we need to look at those alternatives that may fit other things until they can clear up their 
things and do different things. They have different alternatives. I'm gonna give I'm gonna go give it back to you, gentlemen. Let's see, caller uh, 301 is on the line, and he has a question for you, gentlemen. You're all back on the line now. Thank you so much. Okay. Mm-hmm. 301, Hello, you're on the air. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, I had to call back in uh, when you started talking about the Community Reinvestment Act. Uh, as you know, uh, your guest knows. Uh, Several institutions, high-profile institutions who are not under the CRA are now under the CRA. Those uh, financial institutions include Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. All the people who got the TARP money uh, had to. Uh, well, Bank of America is. Yeah, yeah so, well, so is uh, uh, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Uh, they, 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 what, what, what they have done now, my understanding is that. One percent of their revenue has to go in, into the CRA. Uh, now, I, are, are you familiar with uh, the, the middleman that they use, the uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, community de- development financial institutions? Is that what Mark? Excuse me. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's the, you got a lot of nonprofits who are working with these major mega financial institutions. They help them comply. Are you calling them the middlemen? Are you calling them the middlemen? That's who you're referring to? Yes, I am. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, the the middle. But uh, their job is to sort of help them circumvent or favorable uh, lending situations. doesn't necessarily include a um, a, a strong investment in the communities that created the CRA, the communities that were redlined. And a lot of times... Uh, because we have just faulty leadership, financial and political, uh, you don't see any uh, 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 progress through these, the CRA. You know, these uh, nonprofit community development corporations throughout the country, I mean, they're just as corrupt and as wasteful as they can be. Whereas with other communities, you got a stronger, more vibrant, more loyal uh, leadership. I hate to put it down like that, but you do. Even with the uh, under the, um, the the Clinton years, when they had the um, empowerment zones across the country, a lot of the empowerment zone money that was uh, a lot of money infused into uh, uh, impoverished uh, communities went to the um, uh, 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 the major merchants in those communities that were not, by the way, African American, and some of them even went to Fortune 500. Uh, corporations, they have them invest in, and put uh, production and distribution facilities there, but they didn't employ people in those communities. Well, so if how I can, do we get around? How, how, my question how do we use the CRA effectively when we're not part of the middleman structure, the CDFIs, the, these community development financial mm-hmm. institutions that help these banks comply? I mean, 1%. Of revenue, it may, you may send me a small number, but it's a whole lot of money. Uh, Otis, well, I'll address that. I'll do my best. I I will agree to you, and there's some there's a, there's a one aspect of legitimacy to financial institutions providing what's called as CRA qualifiable investments, usually in the forms of either uh, let's take the case of a credit union in the Southside Federal Credit Union, for example, uh, often financial institutions 
to help them meet. Could you explain that to uh, our caller based on, I don't know if you, are you familiar with the uh, Southside Credit Union concept, uh, caller? Uh, no, I am not. No. Okay. Let me make it broader. Usually not banks that uh, may have difficulty lending, engaging in direct lending within low-income low communities, you know, mortgages, that kind of thing, what they'll do is, is provide a – they will invest in a mortgage lending pool that's often maintained and managed by a nonprofit of intermediary, a community development financial institution, or sometimes a credit union. And that's because the credit union has a little more flexibility in designing the lending criteria than a financial institution has by law and by regulatory uh, uh, requirements. So in your concept that the not-for-profit becomes the middle agent, in a sense, that is correct. But now the, the, the problem becomes if the nonprofit organization is acting as an intermediary has received investments from a financial institution to engage in lending that the bank itself can't do because of how they have to look at creditworthiness, if you will, and, 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 and standards that they have to abide to by law and, by, uh, uh, and policy as promulgated to them by its regulator, if that intermediary is not being held accountable by the community, that's the issue in large part, is that many of the not-for-profits that serve as intermediary on behalf of financial institutions are not held accountable by, this by the communities that they serve. So it becomes a shared accountability piece here. That is what's one of the problems. Uh, uh, I, I'm fighting back because there's a willingness, and Ron knows me pretty well, but my pastor tells me I need to kind of cool it down because I, I want to name names. But there are some African-American-led organizations South here Street in Journal Chicago. South Street Journal is a newspaper over this. Huh? South Street Journal is a newspaper. We name names. Well, well, uh, anyway, I, I have. But let me let me let me interject here. That's, 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 that's my take on that here. I can't. Yeah, I just had to throw that in. But uh, as we look at the, as we address the the moral responsibility to, to success, and then as Guy indicated, the individual mission to success. Uh, and as you both held particularly the same uh, objectives, but in uh, one policy and one individually, uh, how do you propose that those two uh, come together, and in what manner can they come together? I think we addressed that a little bit earlier, but as we move to some type of uh, direction, um, how do we go? I think that I'm proposing that to both you, uh, Mr. Williams and Mr. Morell. Well, for, for for the Monroe Foundation's part, our focus moving forward is to begin to identify constituencies that want to learn how they can create their own financial institutions. I'm moving away from spending a whole lot of time with meeting with the CEOs and the chairmen of the boards of some of these financial institutions here in Chicago and going through a long, drawn-out process as to how and why they should do more or should do anything for that matter. I think the time will be better spent uh, looking at how different communities and constituent groups can come together. We provided the technical assistance. 
uh, and find them the funding for the foundation community, which we work very closely with, and provide the seed funding so that they can plan and establish and manage and operate their own financial institutions. We won a commitment two years ago from Illinois Treasurer Alexi Janulius, who encouraged that if, if we're able to facilitate the creation of community development credit unions, uh, he will provide seed capital to help begin to uh, uh, provide a base of lending for the work of these community development credit unions. And we want to move forward on that in short order, uh, as he is, of course, the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate, and he most likely will probably win, and we hope to be able to sustain that kind of initiative uh, with uh, his current chief of staff, whom I, ho I understand may appear at Black Wall Street right. uh, this coming Saturday. So that's our focus, is creating, is organizing and mobilizing constituent groups in the African-American community uh, to form its own financial institutions. Okay, well, Mr. Williams, as you individual, uh, you said this uh, success is based on the individual uh, mission statement. Uh, do you see a, a a a process of collaboration with the moral obligation of success and the individual um, mission of success? Um, if I will say. Idealistically, yes, but realistically, no. And I'll, I'll preface it by saying, um, if you have a chance, you can go on YouTube and look up Elizabeth Warren. She's a Harvard Law professor, and she has spoke extensively on the disappearance of the middle class in the United States of America over the last 30 years. And unless we address major issues that will allow the average individual to be able to buy a home, put his kids in a good school, and provide a better life for his family unless those uh, economic opportunities will present themselves. It doesn't matter what we do. If people don't have jobs, people can't make money, it doesn't matter. But on an individual level, the keys to success, in my opinion, are to first understand how to manage your time. I meet too many people that are too disorganized. It's unrealistic if you're going to be a good parent, a good husband, a good wife, an entrepreneur, and not be able to manage your time. Something is going to fail. So the first thing is to manage your time. You can get the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a great book in terms of how to manage your life. Number two, Richest Man in Babylon. You've got to learn how to manage your money. Most people don't know how to manage their money. Most people don't even balance their checkbook, let alone manage their money. Most people don't live below their means. Get the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, if you want to understand the basic principle of money management. Number three, buy a house, but buy below market value. And i give you an example. I'm a licensed real estate broker, and the vast majority of realtors would prefer that if you have a pre-approval for $200,000, they want you to spend $200,000. I always tell people, spend no more than 75% on a house. Always go in with 20 to 25% equity. You have to live below your means. Number four, pay off all bad debt. Do you know... The number one reason for dissatisfaction in terms of marriages, in terms of personal life experience, is debt. If, if you have a group of people that's in debt, you can control them a lot easier than if a person just has, doesn't have any debt and they have six months worth of living expenses in the bank. Most people will get up tomorrow and go to a job that they don't like because they have tremendous debt. So I think a, a priority should be for most people to pay off their debt and then put up six months worth of living expenses. Now, if you can do those simple five things within, say, six months to a year, 
then your life becomes easier. Does that make sense? Yeah, you use the term control a people, you can control the people based on keeping them in debt. Uh, Absolutely. Are you proposing that financial institutions um, get great rewards by keeping people in debt? Yeah, if you if you look at if you look if I you mean, do research you and control, look at when you say when you use the term control, who are you basically referring to? Right. When you, you look at to? let's 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 look at it logically. There's a reason why major financial institutions started targeting college students with credit cards. If you can keep people in debt, you can really leverage that debt to get them to do jobs and do things that they ordinarily wouldn't do. Debt, you see, you there's are a scary reason. Sometimes you know that guy. You are really scary. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, look at who, which which country is holding the paper? The United States of America. China. China. <laughs> you know, we're technically bankrupt. But we got more guns in China, so you know, hey, you know, try to collect some, some money from somebody to get more guns. What you gonna do? You know what I mean? More will, but the Chinese got more will. <laughs> yeah, so you know, so let's just be real. You know, no, it's, 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 but, to President, but to President Obama's credit, you know, the recently enacted uh, uh, credit card reforms went into place this week, and one of the provisions in the credit card reform was to, it, it, it is now uh, disallows the ability for credit card companies to set up and engage in aggressive credit card marketing on college campuses. Uh, secondly, to Elizabeth Warren, uh, Professor Warren, who is also the chair of the TARP Oversight Committee, uh, there's a YouTube account where she's being interviewed, where she's being asked by the Congress, is she able to report specifically how TARP-receiving institutions have actually used TARP money to create lending opportunities, and she is on public record as saying she can't really pinpoint no, how she said no. Absolutely. <laughs> secondly, she said no. secondly, secondly, President Obama, also to his credit, he's trying to, with regard to the previous caller by Goldman Sachs and other companies that engage in mortgage-backed securities and and, and derivatives market, which also played a part in the foreclosure, the, the, the financial meltdown, there is a, in the Community Reinvestment Modernization Act of 2009 that is stalled right now in the Congress, uh, the, 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 modern, the Modernization Act of CRA uh, addresses, looks at closing some of the financial loopholes uh, that financial that banks engage in terms of the risky uh, 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 investing that they were doing and engaging in the mortgage-backed securities in the derivatives markets. And President Obama has advanced legislation to try to address some of those loopholes. The issue always remains is the political will uh, of the Congress, and uh, I'm not hearing a lot of that from uh, the congressional delegation. I mean make it broad, the congressional delegation, but particularly to my chagrin uh, from uh, the African-American uh, leadership here in Illinois of the Illinois dele uh, delegation. They're not talking about the bread and butter issues uh, that I think matter to everyday people, and one of which is these regulatory, these financial regulatory reforms that are stalled in the Congress. They should be um, jumping at the top of their lungs Trying to push, but to make these, these are the hard. But all, but all, the hard all, should be the I mean, governor. 
with with all due respect, I read a book called Black Labor and White Wealth by Claude Anderson back in 1994. And in reading that book, it showed that in the late 60s, we had less than 500 black elected officials nationwide. Now, we fast forward to the mid-90s, we had over 4,000 black elected officials, but the state of African Americans as a whole has not changed significantly. So when you look at the definition of insanity, it's doing the same things over and over again and expecting dramatically different results. We've and taken the minute, political... Yeah. With, with that comment, I mean, we're going to close yeah, out we, the show. Let's... Uh, okay. Sorry, Mr. Williams. No, that's cool. That comment. Let's have our final remarks Great, thank you. Ron Carter, Mr. Wynn. Wow, I was getting into it. Wow, Sonia, okay, I, I hear I you. Go you ahead are. with it. <laughs> All right, Williams, okay. We have your final comments. Yes, uh, 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 Otis, your, your final wrap-up comment, please. I look forward to being at Black Wall Street on Saturday and advancing the, the, the concept of creating our own institutions. Okay, and uh, Mr. Guy Williams. In this country, I don't think an individual should look to anybody to save them. You've got to look in the mirror every day, make a determination to do for yourself. Otherwise, yourself. chances are you're not going to do well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to uh, thank both of you for coming on. It's definitely been an, an enlightenment taking on both <laughs> sides of our financial uh crisis from a policies point of view and from an individual point of view. And uh, again, at this summit, I hope that we can again readdress sure. this investment focus that Black Wall Street have to take on as we look at the uh, the, the, the ma and pa and the physical business site, but we also have to engage our our community into financing, and then, as you indicated, Mr. Williams, and then, as Mr. Moreau indicate, is the stabilization with the programs that he's running. And I would still like to focus on the uh, unit count, as Mr. Uh, Otis Monroe is addressing with the type of financial literacy cases that he's handling, and that maybe we can, t- uh, some kind of way, that that group or similar groups of that nature can travel over to uh, Mr. Uh, Guy Williams and his investment, as he indicates, the parts of success beyond stabilization. Uh, there is a uh, some of the comments that came from Mr. Williams definitely was, uh, I've heard it, but it's still kind of shocking as he put the disparity and the lack of parity with our financial stability. And even as we look at the, the population change, as that is even decreasing the uh, the financial growth, as it relates to Chicago, uh, when the 2010 census uh, is reported, I believe that there may be as low as 850,000 blacks uh, to be counted. So the, the gap, the parity, the stability of one's uh, financial goals, and as it relates to what Mr. Williams has to offer, I think that we definitely want to looking at very closely at, uh, if not this particular summit, uh, but I may use my chairman's uh, protocol 
into actual emotion that we actually engage a system of closing that gap and and maybe we can prove Mr. Williams wrong regarding uh, we would never get to there as we are at this state. But with all the social and economic uh, issues that we face, our mission is to get us there using the policies of that Mr. Monroe is enacting and the self-individual uh, uh, drive and mission that Mr. Williams is uh, offering. So, But thank I you. thank you both thank for you. being a part of Black Wall Street Speak Out on the uh, Chicago Black Business Network. And where we at, Sonia? We're Did almost at speak? the end. Another, another great show, Ron. Mr. Williams, All thank right. you so much. And Mr. Thank you Monroe, for thank me. you. Thank you so much. Also, I hope to I hope to get to meet both of you guys at the summit, if not very very soon. Thank you so much for being with us, Ron. Another great show. This is going to be oh, yeah, quite a summit much. this this year, isn't it? It's going to be quite oh, a yeah, powwow over there. Oh, it is. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a a real good time with some very serious dialogue. There's gonna be some Absolutely. frustrations. There's gonna be some tears, but there's gonna be some motions of resolutions to move forward. That's for sure. Absolutely. We want to thank everyone for listening to Black Wall Street USA with our host, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network dot com, and we invite each and every one of you to come over to CBBN. Join us and touch the world. Listen to CBBN on Blog Talk Radio every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. This is a tool for our members to present their products and services to a worldwide audience every Thursday evening right here with this type of dialogue. It's getting better and better, Ron. You right here I, with uh, Mr. Ron Carter. Go ahead. I'm going to have my grab bag for the summit. Can you put one to the side for me? I most certainly will put a bag aside, Thank a very you. special bag aside for you Thank and Mrs. Carter. You. I most All certainly right. will. That is not that. a problem. I was okay. already on my list, Mr. Carter. All right. I'm just about? checking. I want to make sure. I don't want to get to the summit and I leave and I say, where my goodie bag at? And you tell me, <laughs> oh, you you didn't register a part of the 250 people. Gosh, you know, I got to cover my I, bases. I'm definitely going to put a special bag with Thank your you. tickets. Appreciate it. Yeah, matter of fact, because I want some of them goody things in there, especially those uh, tickets you was talking about. <laughs> you are going to have some tickets in my bag, aren't you? Yes, sir. Okay. Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. For all that you do, Mr. Carter. All right. All right. Everyone have a good evening. We're going to talk to you at the summit. Have a good night, Ron. Take care. Do the same. Listen to everybody else. Good night. Good night. We're going to close out with something to believe in because this is something that we believe in.